The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. You'll never want to leave a Suzanne Hudson designed garden. Each garden room is an invitation to relax and enjoy again and again. Suzanne has been designing homes and gardens for over 40 years. She believes your home is for living and enjoying every day. Her personal garden has been featured in Southern Living, Better Homes and Gardens, Country Living, HGTV, This Old House, New Zealand's Lifestyle Book, and more. She shares her garden with guests each year during the Penny McHenry Hydrangea Festival Garden Tour. Designing amazing twists with antique and vintage objects is one of her design signatures. Our interview with Suzanne Hudson, Episode 14, Designing Garden Rooms, on the Garden Question podcast following this. You're invited to ask your garden design, build, or grow question at thegardenquestion.com. Not only do you get a chance to ask your own question, but you might inspire the next episode of the Garden Question podcast. So go to thegardenquestion.com and ask your question. Suzanne, what is a garden room? Well, the way I think of it, Craig, it's a very special place in your garden that you enjoy, that you want to go to, like a destination. I want an entrance into my garden. So when I say an entrance, that means a foyer. So that to me is a garden room that you'll enter through the foyer or the entrance. It will be a garden. And then I might want to go to a dining room where we eat. So that would be a garden room. It's just like in your house. There are different areas in your garden that you do different functions. A lot of people have an outdoor kitchen. How would you get started on a garden room? I usually like to see a view from inside my house or anyone's house. I also like to design a garden room with the style of your house. If it's a mid-century modern, you don't want to put a cottage garden right outside your house. Or if it's farmhouse, you don't want a formal Italian boxwood garden. It goes with the style of your house, and it goes with what you want to do outside. And it also goes with how much maintenance you want to do. What are some of the options for designing a garden room, say like the furnishings? Think of it like the home. It's a structure. The structure are floors. You can have hardscape, brick, gravel, stone, concrete, a wooden deck. So I think of the floors of that area and what that's going to be. And then I think if it's going to be a softscape floor, is it a grass floor, mulch, ground cover? Then I think, okay, do I want it enclosed? Do I want walls? Do I want a stone wall, a brick wall? Do I want it fenced in? Do I want trellises? Do I want espalier trees to enclose this area? Kind of like your walls. Okay, how am I going to get from one room to the other? Like your halls in your house is that paths. You line the paths with hedges or vines or a perennial border to get to the next room. You kind of do it like you do inside. You have floors, walls, and ceilings. Ceilings could be a gazebo, a porch, an arbor, or just your tree canopy or sky. You have lots of options of having floors, walls, and ceilings in your garden. Options that you could add like outdoor lighting. Oh, yeah. 
process. Then you get into the furnishings and the art and the accessories and lighting and fabrics. And that's a whole nother ball game right there. First, you got to get your structure done. You don't have to do it all at one time. You can kind of decide what you want to do in your garden. If you want to cook in your garden, if you want to have a vegetable garden, if you want just to have a perennial flowers, you have to decide what you want to use your garden for. If you entertain a lot, you might want a dining area. There's so many things you need to think about when you're designing your yard. And I call it a yard because then it's going to become a garden. Starting small and just adding to it over time. Mm-hmm. I have to do it all at one time. Fill in this blank for me. In my garden, I have. Lots of weeds. <laughs> <laughs> That's in every garden. (laughs) Are you talking about my personal garden? Yeah, your personal garden. In my garden, I have. A place to read, a place to relax, a place to visit with friends. Those are things that are important to me. All the garden rooms that you have, you've built for that purpose, right? Yes, yes. I especially love when friends visit and you can just sit in your garden and look and be with the plants and trees and birds. You get to sit in your garden and be with all the um, nature. That's important. How many hydrangeas do you think you have in your garden? Mm, Way over probably a couple of hundred. And it's every variety. I don't keep up with everything, but it's all kinds of varieties because they're all so unique. Still, the old mop head hydrangea is the one that does the best just about in anybody's garden. Not the hybridized ones, but the, the old foundation hydrangea. Do you have a favorite hydrangea? Yes, I have. Really, I have two favorites. I have limelight is just one of my favorites because it just is a such a performer in the sun. And it lasts so long. A hydrangea lasts, they say, 150 days. Well, what other plant blooms and lasts that long? There's not one that I know of. other one I like is Twist and Shout. It's a lace cap, and it's very hardy. It performs in the sun or shade. So what's your favorite one? Anyone that's in bloom. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah, I've not found one that I didn't like. And people say, oh, I don't have a green thumb. I think if you put the right plant in the right spot, it's going to grow. You don't have to have a green thumb. Yeah. When you're trying to put a plant in the wrong spot, that it's going to die. I got a theory on brown thumb or green thumbs. And when I hear somebody say that, well, you may have a brown thumb, but it just hadn't germinated yet. <laughs> That's a good one, too. All learning. It is. That's why I like to water. Everybody says, do you have a sprinkler system or whatever? No, because if you go around your garden and water, you're going to look at that plant and see if it needs anything or if it's dying or you're going to watch it grow. Mm -hmm. I like to water. Then I get to look at all my plants and see what's happening. And it's a great way to decompress, too, I found. Oh, yeah. And I do say that I am a lazy gardener. And I say it because if the plant doesn't come back, I don't want it. I don't have time to plant annuals. If it needs a bunch of pruning, I got to have stuff that's just going to grow on their own and just need some food and water. What's your best suggestion for lazy gardening techniques? Perennials and shrubs especially. I mean, you cannot go wrong. Flowering shrubs. Oh, the camellias this year are incredible. And you don't have to hardly do anything to those and they perform. Dark green, so they add so much to your garden when everything's not got any leaves. What's your favorite shrub? Camellias right now because they're in bloom. <laughs> this one that I bought for my mom, it's a pink, and I don't even remember the name of it. She asked me to get her a camellia, and I planted it at her house. And I didn't dig that up when we left the property, but I did have a sister to it. And I planted that in my yard. It reminds me of her when it blooms, and it's just 
putting on a show right now. Mm-hmm. It's a Camille Japonica. That, They're my favorite. Just because of the memories that it has with me, I, I just really like that particular plant. Wish I could remember the name on it. I probably could look it up in some paperwork somewhere. I'd have to dig back 20 years. You can just use your mom's name. There you go. I'll just name it. I'll create my own. <laughs> yes, exactly. But camellias are amazing plants. Yeah. They don't take a lot of care to me. They don't. And they're not, they don't disease very easily either. That's a wonderful plant. It's a shame. I see a lot of times people over pruning, over management of a, of a camellia, like they do a lot of plants. Mm-hmm. And they really rob themselves of that show, the, the return that you get on a camellia that, that they're putting on right now. I mean, by over pruning it mm-hmm. and pruning it at the wrong times. If you get the right plant in the right location, just like you said, so it has its space to grow and to perform and, and you're not cutting all the texture out of it. That's really a, where you get your return. That's the key to give the plant the space it needs. It's hard for some people when it's a little bitty plant, then going to go to six feet tall. It is hard to not plant it close to something. You got to read the label and see how big it gets. And because when they get to the maturity, they're gorgeous. Mm, yes, yes. And not have to prune it into a little ball. What's your favorite tree? Hmm. I guess magnolia. Wow. It's green all the time. People, they don't like them because they shed their leaves and all that. But that beautiful dark green leaf and that bloom, oh my gosh, you can't hardly beat that big white bloom. Mm-hmm. If I could plant what I wanted, it would be the little gem because that's so dark green and then it has that white bloom. Because mm-hmm. I didn't tell you that my three favorite garden colors are. No, you haven't. I know. And it's a green, brown, and white. And it covers it all in that one plant. Right. Yep. And it also covers trees and bark and just everything that's in your garden, green, brown, and white. You cannot go wrong. Now, you can have some color somewhere, but those three colors make a beautiful garden if you didn't have anything else. Is that called a color triad? Is that the term for that? Yeah, I think it is. I think you're right. That's what you try to do with all your colors, although you do have some other colors there. That's your basics. That's my green, brown, and white. That's the basics. That's the bones of the garden. And then you can add a pop of color anywhere. It's just like like when the hydrangeas bloom, they're all colors. And people say, well, don't you want a certain color? And I'm like you. It doesn't matter what color it is, just so it blooms. What's your current garden project? Well, I had a serious problem in my garden. I lost over 700 boxwoods to the boxwood blight. Oh, no. My garden project is finding evergreens to replace that, that have the same similar look, and there's really not one. It's redesigning where those boxwood borders were. Whoa. What have you tried? Globe arborvita and some other boxwoods that they say are blight resistant. They've got it too. And I waited five years and they still got the blight. Do you think they picked it up from the previous blighted plants? Yeah, I think it's in the soil. Hmm. How do you clear your garden of every leaf from 700 boxwood? Oh, really? <laughs> Can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of been interesting that I've had to rethink most of all the garden. Is this the structure or the planting that you're rethinking? The planting. No, I still have my dining room, my foyer, my different areas, my living room, having to think about the different plants now some other type of plants. Yeah. And I'm leaning toward a lot of those camellias. I would think so. You like to plant in pots. Are you thinking about planting them in the ground or are you going to put them in pots? In the ground. Okay. Most of the boxwoods 
were, did have probably 100 in pots, but there were about 600 in the ground. Have you tried Hugendorn, Holly? I have not. To me, it's got the same texture, same look. I think it grows up about four or five feet, though. Hugendorn is very similar in appearance to me. Yeah, a lot of people have suggested the Hellerai Holly. Yeah. It is just not the same. It doesn't have the form that a boxwood does. I don't think anything does. I will be looking up this Holly. I'm going to go back to the garden rooms for a minute. What you're going to do in that garden room depends on how you use the floor. You don't want to have to have a grass because you've got to move furniture every time you cut the grass. If it's a game area where you have either a putting green, croquet, or badminton, well, then you certainly would do a grassed area. If it's where you're going to set a dining room table, you could use a brick floor or your stone pavers or your a deck or a concrete, anything so that you don't have to move that furniture. It kind of depends on what you want for your floors as to what you're going to do in that area. The same thing about your fencing. You wouldn't want a solid fence. If it's in the middle of your yard, you might just want an illusion of a fence or an illusion of an enclosed area. Mm -hmm. That's why the espalier plants would be gray or something like that. You don't want it to be totally blocked off, but yet you want to enter into some special area. You want to have a donation to go to, you know. I've noticed in your garden that, and I think it's a technique you use real well, is you have column at the entrance. Have something past that column that you're viewing through that entrance that draws you in. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, I think when you come to a path or a corner, that vision or what you see is the most important thing. When you, Because that's going to take you to the next area. If you see that urn or that statue or just a pot with beautiful blooming plants, it just brings you through that area and takes you to the next area. So you want to have a view at every intersection that you can put in your garden. Like I say it doesn't have to be a concrete thing. It can be a plant. Just even when you turn around the corner, it could be a grassy area that you see and want to go visit you want a destination i know in some gardens you get to that intersection and you look two or three different spots and you oh i want to go there i want to go there i want to go there really just invites you to these different points and it just makes you absorb (laughs) you want to never leave (laughs) right exactly and then you want to have sitting areas in your garden so that when you get to a destination that you can sit turn around and look back and enjoy what you've just walked through because sometimes you walk so fast you don't even enjoy what you're walking through you miss the plants because you're in a hurry to get to the next when you have just wide open spaces that's when i find myself hustling through a garden when you have these garden rooms that you start absorbing the garden. Mm-hmm. You go slower Yeah. and look at the plants. And on everything, there's so many different ways you can grow plants. Like you mentioned the columns. Well, you can have a rose growing up the columns. It doesn't have to be just a thing without a plant. You can add a plant to it. Mm-hmm. Even a pergola. I mean, you can have a vine growing all over it. Once or twice a year, it's in full bloom and it just really takes your breath away. I would think this is a garden room is where you've recycled old windows into, um, do you call it a greenhouse or what do you call it? I do. I've always called it a greenhouse. Now, Country Living named it a she shed, but I don't like that name. It's a greenhouse. They named it that, but it's a greenhouse where you can have your plants in there. I can also sit in there and design a garden or read gardening books or visit with friends. At the Hydrangea Festival, that's where people end up sitting. They go into there and sit and talk. They're drawn to that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Would you consider a treehouse a garden room? Yes, I would. Because it's a destination. It's a destination. Oh, my gosh. It makes a kid out of anybody. No matter your age, you climb up in the treehouse and you're a kid. It's immediate. And I think everybody always wanted one. They always wanted a treehouse when they were little. Didn't you? Yeah, and I had several. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, it's just a fantasy that everybody wants to, to yeah, have. So, yeah. But it's amazing when people walk up there, how their demeanor changes. They want to be again. The front porch would also be a garden room, wouldn't it? Yes, I think so. Any porches. And they need to be comfortable, just like inside your house. Comfortable seating. A, a place to eat, depending on how big your porch is. And a place to read. And a place to visit with friends. I've heard of a design technique that you use that I wasn't aware of, and it's called Dinky is Stinky. Can you explain that technique? <laughs> yes. Well, it's like having a tiny pot that you have to water twice a day. Get the biggest pot you can afford. <laughs> you can have lots of plants or a big plant so you can just water it once a week. I think most people, when they're working on their garden, if they don't have a professional designer like you or like even arbors are too low because when they build them, they just build them and they don't think about, oh, if I add a vine, that vine's going to take a foot of the space. That's where that came from was dinky is stinky. You've got to think bigger when you're outside and taller. The bigger, the better outside. Just because of the Scale. Mm -hmm. Scale's everything about design. You know that from your sizes of your patios and paths and everything. You don't want a tiny little yeah. path. You want a wide, nice path to stroll side by side. You want it just for one person. Right. Can you talk a little more about scale? Well, I told you about the arbors because to me, that's one of the worst mistakes is the arbors that are too low and that you almost mm -hmm. have to duck to get through them when you plant a vine on them. I think some of the decks that people build, and it's not people, it could be builders. The posts are too small for the house. They need to be, and they don't have to have a solid post. That post can just be wrapped to make a bigger post. Scale is so important in a garden because, I mean, look how high the sky is. You don't want some little dinky thing outside. you got to have big statues, big pots, big arbors, a nice-sized gazebo. Don't make a little gazebo because you want people to sit under it. So you got to have room for furniture. So it's big as big, big as you can, big as you can afford. What attracted you to garden design? I lived in a lot of different houses, and I had help a lot of different people with the inside of their house. When you're walking up to their front door, that's actually part of their house. Green porches and deck, it's all in one thing. When you do the inside, you're going to do the outside too. I had more garden design business during COVID than ever, just because people were outside working and they loved their yard. They wanted it to be beautiful. Didn't you? Never seen the demand like it is now. So I think that has a lot to do with it. People are really enjoying their home and their, and their yard and their gardens. People that never thought about digging a hole or digging holes. What are your earliest garden memories? Oh, when I was very little, I would spend a couple of weeks with my grandmother during the summer. My grandfather had a vegetable garden on the back of the property. She had her flowers up next to the house. Even if we went to visit her on Sunday, we always got to cut a bouquet and bring it home. That was so special. She did have one huge hydrangea in the corner of the house. I just could not wait for that plant to bloom so I could cut them and bring them in her house. I think that's my earliest, and it was a hydrangea. In your professional career, who's been your biggest influencer? Ooh, I don't know the answer to that question. Let me think. I get. I guess the person that I got to talk to and talk gardening was Ryan Ganey. We had a good relationship, and he would call and say, can you come over today? And I'll say, no, not today, but I can come such and such, and we would talk gardening. He would tell me things 
things that I would never expect. And I said, why are you telling me this? He said, I want to pass it on. And I thought that was so unique for him to pass it on, even down to what his favorite sprinkler was. (laughs) He wanted to pass it on. Yeah. Uh, we had a good good time. Call something specific in addition to the sprinkler? Sprinkler was a definite experience because we got in the little Woody. You know, he had a Woody with the seven dogs and went to Ace Hardware to pick out the sprinklers. That was an experience to drive up with seven dogs and go into Ace Hardware and pick out the sprinklers. Did you leave the dogs in the car or they go in with you? And only two went in. Uh, the other five stayed in the car. And the other thing was he stopped on the side of the road to pick up lath from a house that was being torn down or remodeled. Yeah. Because he was going to build berry baskets. Do you know what I'm talking about? They were just square baskets that had a little lip on them that you put cardboard containers in and picked like blueberries or I can imagine. I can. I've, I think I've seen baskets like that. Didn't realize they were called berry baskets. He wanted to build berry baskets. Here we go. Stopping on the side of the road, picking up grown out lumber to build berry <laughs> baskets. But he was a unique gardener and a unique individual. But he was really brilliant. His ideas. What would you think that you do today that you got from him? I don't know if I got this from him, but I really try to think of lasting. What's going to last in a garden, not a temporary type thing. I don't know whether I, because I remember us talking about it. To me, a garden should be a lasting garden, could be there for generations. Just something that's put in. Because I've seen so many houses, Craig, that people plant the the foundation plantings on their house. And in what, five years, they dig them all up and replant. And then in five years, they dig them all up and replant because they've outgrown their spot. So again, it's all about planting the plant that can be in the right place and stay for a long, long time. And then just add to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't think we all have to have continuous plants at the foundation either. What are your thoughts on that? I'm fixing to do a garden. She said, what do you think about the front? And I said, well, rip everything out and get Craig to put in a courtyard because it's just a row of plants and they've all been pruned wrong for years and years. You know what I mean? For years and years, (laughs) pruned wrong. So they look horrible because there's not a class on pruning that I know for people to go to. Do you know that class? Yeah, there are. The extension service offers some. I have episode three with Rick Smith, the pruning guru, where we address many pruning issues and techniques that if anybody listened to it and applied, it would definitely improve their skills and the health of their plants. Good. I find out with pruning, people mimic what their neighbors do. Or they mimic what their father did, which may not be the correct technique. They don't understand how important it is to the health of that plant that it's done correctly. A lot of times it's the plant was planted that's going to overgrow that space. So it's a, a high maintenance plant. I think it's the Tim, the Toolman Taylor syndrome. More power. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing it faster and quicker because I've got this power tool in my hand mm-hmm. that I'm making 500 cuts on this plant. They don't realize the more you prune, the more you have to prune. And before you know it, you've got this dense little green shell on the outside of your plant and all the health implications that means. I don't want to get on a rant here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the verge. I'm on the verge. <laughs> Well, I think that everybody should have to go to the class on pruning. Yeah. It ought to be a requirement. <laughs> I was just going to say, what's the purple plant that's just come out with the burgundy? I mean, it's been out a while. Laura Petalums. Laura Petalums. Yeah. Plant them and they prune them. And they're made to be beautiful and grow and bloom. Mm-hmm. But most people prune them and they never bloom. 
they're robbing themselves of the of that bloom, the texture. And, you know, when that plant first came out or hit the market, those plants grew 15 feet tall, but you'd see them put into a place where it was only three feet tall. You know, it would, if it went 15 feet tall, it would cover up an architectural feature on their house. There's some now that are more of a four or five foot variety or cultivar. And because it's got color, it often gets misplaced in the landscape. And people think they have to prove it. Exactly. And that's it is beautiful left alone. And so are, to me, um, what people call yellow bells, the forsythia. Mm-hmm. They prune those things into odd shapes when they just are beautiful, when they just weep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Think about fences. They make good neighbors, I've heard. <laughs> yeah, that rumor's going around. Mm-hmm. I think fences are good in the right application, especially if you've got something on the other side that you don't want to look at. Also, you don't want to block a desirable view. No. Well, there's so many different kinds of fences. Like even if you have animals, there's fences that are open. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to have a solid privacy for a fencing. There's all kinds of fences that you can do. And they do make good neighbors. <laughs> you grow plants on the fences roses and use them as trellises you can have a green fence not just a wooden fence grow something on it coming up more suzanne hudson design insights TheGardenQuestion.com is an awesome website because we expand each podcast episode with accurate resources and links for gardeners. You can also listen to every single episode again as many times as you like. Think of it as an extension of the podcast at TheGardenQuestion.com. You know, something that I love, too, about gardening is pass along plants where you go to a garden and you say, oh, that's so pretty and somebody will give you a cutting or whatever. It gives your garden so much more meaning to have things that people have given you. I have my a rose that was at my grandmother's garden. It's the rose that's just really prolific, sometimes even on the highways. It's a okay, Seven yeah. Sisters, the little pink rose, never gets diseased. I only plant David Austin's because you don't have to take such care of them like the hybrid roses. The English David Austin roses, you can pretty much leave alone and let grow. But this little Seven Sisters rose, it'll come up on the ground and you can just dig it up and give it to someone else. And that's so pleasing to me to have part of your garden go to somebody else and have somebody else bring you something that, from their garden. That's really rewarding to me. Called pass along plants. That's what we call it. It's a memory too. It, it gives you the memory of the person's garden or bring a pass along plant and oh, it just stimulates the memories. It's just like old photos. Okay, so let's go to lighting in your gardening. I think it's so nice when you're in your home and to look out and it's not like a black coat. Yeah. There's all kinds of ways that you can light up your garden without having floodlight. And now some of the floodlights even that you put on your house can be put on dimmers so you don't have to have such a bright light, which makes a big difference like on your patio. If you're going to use your floodlights for uh, lighting, you can put them on dimmers. So that makes a big difference. What kind of light is your favorite? I like up lighting on trees and significant structures in the garden. I think that does very well and it's a whole new dimension to your garden when you do your night lighting. It's like a brand new garden, really. And it beckons you to come in there mm-hmm. instead of just like looking out at a black hole. I've noticed you've done some interesting things with lighting at your house. That you take a kerosene lantern or a Coleman lantern, I think is what I saw, and you put lighting in that. Yes, I rewired it for the treehouse because I thought that kind of light would have been typical if you went to a treehouse, you'd take your lantern with you. So I use four white bulbs, Craig. Night, you don't need much, just a little glow. Right. It's not much electricity. It's just a four white bulb in those cold 
Portland lanterns. And that's about what a little flame would do, too. It's nice. And I just don't want to come home to a black garden. I want to come home and see something beautiful. What else have you lit up? I actually use lamps outside. And I know that sounds crazy. There's certain places that you can use lamps if you protect your socket from the weather. Different ways to do that. Just as long as your socket doesn't get water in it, you can use a lamp outside. You can turn it on and turn it off. I use a lot of industrial old enamel green lights that were just like a hood type thing. Yeah, because that works really good outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's in some arbors and things because it kind of goes with the an iron arbor, that industrial. And it's green. Yeah, there you go. And it's, the inside's white. That's right. It's green and white. The wire's brown. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> it just blends in with the nature. Yeah. That's what the green brown does. So it doesn't look like you've got light fixtures out there. That's right. And furniture, too. You need furniture and cushions that you don't have to bring in. Because if you had to go out and bring in all your cushions every day and take them back out, what fun is that? There's drainable foam, sunbrella fabric, and you can actually pressure wash your cushions and they'll come right back to when they get old, dirty looking. You can just pressure wash them. Well, that was going to be my question is how do you deal with a little mildew or whatever gets on them from time to time? It does. Mildew and bird and different things outside, but you can just pressure wash that fabric and it comes right back. You use a lot of vintage collections type things. That always fascinates me. I sit there and just stare at these little collections that you have. Could you talk about that? I don't know how I got started with that. A lot of our friends would meet all over the country at flea markets and antique malls and things like that. Just to have a good time. Usually driving or flying so you don't bring back huge things. It was started just collecting little miniature garden things like little bird baths, wheelbarrows or iron birds, anything like that. Then it just became like a mission to find anything that could sit outside and live outside and not get hurt. Iron is wonderful and it's a little rust. It's even more wonderful. Rust is really good outside. It's brown. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Got to tie it back in. (laughs) I do. I think it's so funny that it does all tie in. Furniture that can go outside, you just have to be careful about what you buy. What would you need to look for? Something that's going to last. Iron that you can paint. Wood doesn't last as long. Mostly iron furniture lasts forever. You can't get rid of it unless a tree falls on it. You're good. And things that are comfortable without cushions are is good, too. But then you got to have some cushions. So. Well, what would be something that would be comfortable without a cushion? A wicker or something like that? Wicker doesn't last outside. Yeah. So there's iron furniture that is the right curvature. It doesn't have a straight back. A curved back is much more comfortable than a straight back. There's a lot of iron chairs that have a curved back. The French chair usually has a little spring in the seat that's metal. And if you sit in one of them, it's very comfortable. It's almost like you're sitting in a cushion, but it's a a metal that has a little bit of spring. You remember way back in the, I guess, 50s, the chairs that had a little bit of spring with the gliders? Yeah. Yeah. They are so comfortable, and they don't have to have cushions. You're talking about it has multiple bands of metal, uh-huh. and they've got a little flex to them. It's like a, blade, a multiple blades put together. Yes, and they're very comfortable. Yes, they are. Because they have a little bit of give. Bounce to them. A little bit of bounce, and it's surprising that you'll be sitting there bouncing and you don't even realize it. I think when you're buying furniture, you need to really shop for something that's comfortable and that can stay outside, and you don't have to bring it in. It can stay outside 365 days. Like you said, who wants to be bringing all that stuff back and forth in and out? No. No, you just want to walk out anytime and sit in your garden and enjoy it, whether it's summer, winter, spring or fall, be able to go out and enjoy your garden. And that's what the lighting does.
does, and that's what the furniture does. It draws you out there. So you don't have to have a swimming pool. You can just have a garden to look at. Now, do you still have your fountains? Well, when I was first putting up my fence, I hit some concrete. And I was like, I thought it was a rock. It didn't end. Well, it was a fish pond. It's been buried since the 30s. It was a kidney-shaped fish pond when I finally got it done. I had to move the fence because it was so big. And I put water in it. It didn't even have a crack. I'm sure it had been buried since the 30s. <laughs> That's amazing it didn't have any kind of crack in it. I know. It is. And I've been there 26, 7 years, and it's still got its fish in there. They're still swimming around. It's amazing. And then not too far away from that, I saw an edge of concrete. I thought, well, maybe that was a little tool shed or something. So we started excavating that, and it was another pond. So they had two ponds right next to each other. Was it bigger? Yes, bigger, deeper, but it was square. I got this concrete gentleman to come and, because it did have a crack. Well, he was in there working on it, and he found his father's initials. Oh, no, really? Uh, yes, he was so excited. <laughs> That wow. his father had first poured that pond. Yeah, yeah. Gardens have so many memories. Right, what is your most valuable garden mistake? Ooh, I can't list all those. <laughs> well, try one or two. <laughs> okay, the the garden mistake that was when I built my greenhouse, I built it small, a little bitty greenhouse. That didn't last but a minute, and I had to add on a whole bigger section. <laughs> <laughs> Because I enjoyed it so much. So that's my biggest mistake yeah. was building all greenhouse. What about yours? I'll see. What did I do today? <laughs> <laughs> you don't learn unless you make mistakes. You've got to make mistakes or you're not gardening. You're the co-founder of the Penny McHenry Hydrangea Festival held the first week of June in Douglasville, Georgia. Tell us about the festival. When we first tried to decide what we were going to do to bring people to Douglasville, because Douglasville was not known for anything that we know of, I was actually on the way to a garden tour. I think it was Savannah. And we were like, can we have a garden tour in Douglasville? On the way to Savannah, we stopped in Macon and ate lunch, they were having the Cherry Blossom Festival. Well, we were like, oh, we don't have 20 years for cherry trees to grow. we got to think of something that's instant if we're going to have it in Douglasville. We came up with the idea of the hydrangea because it's been in a lot of family gardens for a long, long time. It's an old plant. People remember it in their grandmother's garden or whatever. So we thought that might be a good, quick way to start a garden tour or start a so Douglasville could be known for hydrangeas. And we looked it up and there was not a hydrangea tour anywhere. It's an easy plant to grow. You've got hydrangeas that grow in the shade, hydrangeas that grow in the sun. There was no excuse for somebody not to have a hydrangea. It took a lot of planning, two years worth of planning before we had our first festival. So we went on that aspect of tourism. In 2019, we had people from 17 different states, uh, 91 different Georgia cities or communities and 10 different countries, which is pretty amazing coming to wow. Douglas County, Georgia. There were four garden clubs, and they got on board right away to have a flower show. It's more than you think. It's a book of rules, three inches thick. People come from everywhere to see that flower show. There's different species of plants that you can see, and then there's different table settings. Every year, the festival has a theme, has a different hydrangea that they celebrate. Flower show is all geared around that hydrangea and that name of the festival. You can bring any plant and enter it into the flower show. It doesn't matter what the plant is. It doesn't matter if it's just a tree branch or a weed. 
you can enter it into the flower show. Our first flower show at the festival won top in the state, and then it won top in the nation. Whoa. We couldn't believe it. We've never even been to a flower show. <laughs> <laughs> and we did it every year. So we did 12 years of top flower show in the state and the nation. That's amazing. It was very amazing. How many entries would you get? From our citizens, we got over 500 entries. That's amazing, too. Wow. Yeah, a lot of community buy-in. A lot of community buy-in. People bring those plants and put them in those bottles, and, and they win awards, and they... It's just wonderful for somebody to bring a plan in and then win a, an award for it. Now, you have a garden tour, what, five or six on the tour every year? Yes, five or six gardens, and we, that's where we recoup a little bit of our funding is by selling garden tour tickets. The gardens, we try to have three or four new gardens, and then we have two or three that have been on it before. So we always try to keep new ones coming in, and then we have some standard ones that they want to see. They'll call and say, is, is so-and-so's garden going to be on tour? Then and they want to buy tickets. So they want to make sure some of the old standbys are on, but then they want to see the new ones too. How many total guards do you think have been on tour during the 12 years of the festival? Probably about 30. I really enjoy the tours. I do too, because I love to see what other people do. You get a tremendous amount of ideas. You wish you could just sit there in their garden all day and just enjoy each garden for a day. Because mm-hmm. you, you can't see it all when you walk through. I have to walk through two or three times to see everything because it's just too quick. And you can stay a long time. They don't care. It doesn't have a time limit on your ticket. And it's two days too, right? Two days, Saturday and Sunday. Now, who is Penny McHenry? She was a lady that when her daughter passed away in Douglas County, which she lived in Decatur, I didn't even know that connection for a long time. She received a hydrangea as a funeral plant. And so she planted it and she propagated it and she propagated it and she propagated it. And then she started studying about all the different hydrangeas. And she actually started the American Hydrangea Society. She was the founder. Her garden was always on tour with the Atlanta Botanical Garden Tour. She had just passed away right before we started our hydrangea tour. So we asked her family if we could use her name. And they graciously agreed for us to call it the Penny McHenry Hydrangea Festival. What an honor being able to use it. Yes. So she was a dear lady. Why do you plant in pots? Number one, I have a lot of huge oak trees. They're like 100 years old. You can't dig in the, around those roots. Nothing's going to grow because the trees sap all the minerals and also all the water. I want plants where there's big trees and it doesn't work in the ground. So I do my pots. There's a lot of times I want greenery where there's no soil. I have a deck that's real close to the ground. You don't have to have a rail. I still think you need something there that gives you a border. So when you do a row mm-hmm. of plants, it, when you repeat plants, it makes a statement. Not to put one plant in this pot and another plant in this pot. It's repetition in any garden, even in the ground or in the pots, that make a statement rather than just one of a kind. Ten of something mm-hmm. is going to be a better statement than one Unless it's a specimen. Do you raise your pots off the ground so the tree roots won't find their way into your pot? I've never had the problem of a tree root coming into my pot. I guess because my trees are so big and my pots are so big, I've not had that problem yet, Craig. That's an interesting concept, but I've never had a tree come into a pot. Sometimes my plants go into the ground from the pot. Yeah, they're probably plugging the hole. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. (laughs) They're plugging the hole. 
it's pretty just to have a plant elevated sometimes and not everything just in the ground, yeah. especially if you have an area in a path that you want to have a focal point. Well, then you can have a beautiful pot with a really specimen plant. That's when I try to use evergreens because I don't want to have to change that pot all the time. I told you I'm a lazy gardener. That's why I put an evergreen in a pretty pot. Then I'm not changing it out all the time. That's an influence that you've had on me is the evergreen in the pots. It does not have to be all seasonal plants. It can be something like you use. Mm-hmm. It's a focal point, really. Yeah, yeah. It's evergreens in the pots. You can use them like for safety so that you don't walk off a deck. When they line stairs, that makes you notice their stairs. Things like that. It helps to outline something in your garden. So you can have a lot of pots. I have a deck that's real close to the ground. You don't have to have a rail. I still think you need something there that gives you a border. So when you do a row of plants, mm-hmm. when you repeat plants, it makes a statement. Not to put one plant in this pot and another plant in this pot. It's repetition in any garden, even in the ground or in the pots, that make a statement rather than just one of a kind. Ten of something is going to be a better statement than one, unless it's a specimen. But don't have little pots. Remember, dinky is stinky. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Those evergreen plants, you got to have room to grow, too. Room to grow, and you don't want to have to water them all the time. You don't want to have to water them about once a week. If you have a small pot, Georgia, in the hot summer, you're going to be watering it every day. One thing I notice you do and use a lot is crushed granite stone, probably 89s or something like that, that you use a lot for your past. Why do you use that? Because it mashes flat. It's easy to roll a wheelbarrow on. It's easy to walk on. The round stones, they roll your foot. Like a pea gravel. Like pea gravel. So I like the flat stones that are easy to walk on and easy to roll. Hand trucks are my best gardening tool. So I got to have something hand trucks can roll on to haul my dirt and haul my pine straw. Move your pots. Move my pots. <laughs> so hand trucks are my best tool in the garden. You don't have to lift them up into a wheelbarrow. Yeah, you just have to tilt them a little bit and slide the hand truck on. And a bale of pine straw just go right on there. You can take it anywhere you want to. I have to lift it up into a wheelbarrow. Now, do you have regular hand trucks or do you have a garden hand truck that has the bigger wheels on? I have regular hand trucks, but I like the ones with the air in the tires. Yeah. You can just move anything for you. Bricks or stones or rocks. Yeah, so you don't have to pick them up. You can just slide your hand trucks under there. So they're my best gardening tool. That and a measuring tape. Why are you so measuring tape? Because I want to make sure that I'm not planting that plant too close and so it has room to grow. Mm-hmm. I calibrate my feet. I know my foot with my boots are <laughs> 12 inches. So every time I buy a new pair of boots, I have to recalibrate. <laughs> Well, I use my measuring tape, favorite tool. That and my hand trucks. What's your favorite tool? I love the dingo. More power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know most people wouldn't have a dingo, but you can do so many things in the garden. When I first saw those in magazines, I thought, that little machine, I don't think you could do anything with it. We had a drought, and I needed a way to put irrigation pipe in, and I wanted a multi-tool. We use that more when we do the bobcat. It's five years younger than the bobcat, but it's got twice as many hours as bobcat does. Wow. So, yeah, more power. <laughs> Tim, the tool man, Taylor. <laughs> Power. <laughs> <laughs> That's where most people are is building these gardens. And I'm more of the manual person. <laughs> we got to move materials, move big trees and stuff. Mm-hmm. I bought some Felco printers. Out of this 35 years I've been in this business, I've never owned Felco printers. I was so excited when those things came in and I tried them. It's just like it just glides through the branch when I cut it. Well, I'll have to try those. I don't really do a lot of pruning. Well, you really shouldn't. Yeah. That's why. 
why I planted those dwarf English boxwoods because they didn't need any pruning. They just kind of mounded themselves. And mm-hmm. I'm so unhappy about that blight. Well, it's also about the blight that's on the Leland cypress too. I planted some Leland cypress. Let's see, that would have been 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. I probably got a hundred of them. I've got to take out. That's one of my garden projects. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking forward to it either. No, it'll change your garden area, taking out those. And it's such a shame. Way back, I don't know what year it was, in the 40s or 50s when they had mm-hmm. the, was it the Dutch elm disease? Got all the elm trees. Gardening has had blights all through time. Yeah, it's the garden challenge is dealing with the latest blight or disease or whatever. And, you know, mine, the Leland Cypress, part of it is I planted them too close. I didn't get the memo mm-hmm. on that where they said, you know, those are got to be planted 10 or 12 feet. <laughs> planted mine four and five feet apart. I knew it was coming and the day's here. I've just got to find the time to do it. What have you been replacing them with at different gardens? Good replacement plant on it is the Green Giant Arborvita. It gets really wide. It gets about 15 feet wide, whereas the Leland Cypress is only about 10 feet wide. So far, the Arborvitas, as long as you space them out far enough, you should be a good... That's if you want height, because they'll get, I think, about 40 feet tall. I'm looking at other things that would maybe not get, but maybe 15 or 20 feet tall. That'd be more for residential area. Florida Anis, more of the native. It would be a good one. And it takes low light. It takes full sun. A bloom, kind of like a, just a, I don't know what you'd call it. It's like a burst of red bloom. But I'm thinking about using that to replace some of them. I don't think I'm going to go back, though, with a solid row of something. I've already got some Nelly R's that I planted. They're kind of in front of that. I'm going to do it as a mixture. Just do a mixture of things down through there. I'll put some of those green giants, and I'll probably put some anise in there. And I don't know what else, but... Maybe it's some laurel pedlums in that. That'd be a good vacation. Well, this is changing the subject just a little bit, but we've got some trees that just look horrible and really need to come down. But what do you replace them with? A nice big tree gets into the power lines and then the power company comes and makes it ugly. And in our historic area, needs a, a good plant to replace some of the trees that are there. Primary the water oaks. They were taken down there in Douglas County High School. It was replanted with the willow oaks. Fortunately, you were able to bring the willow oaks. will make a really nice tree. We'll bring them back off the street 25 feet. And the water oaks that were there were only about 10 feet. When those were planted back in the 30s, power lines come through. Then you're going to, they're going to trim them to the power line. They're not going to trim like it should be trimmed needs to be recognized, first of all, that it's a problem that needs to be addressed and, and a plan started or will end up like it looked in the 30s when there were no trees. My understanding of the trees we have there today were planted on a Georgia forestry grant. And you don't really have the space to go back 25 feet. Houses are close to the street. Big issue about what to put back. And in lots of historic districts all over the country, really, it's not just our area. It's a tree that it can't be a huge tree anymore because of the power lines and that kind of thing. Well, that's an issue on even new development. The tree needs to have the root zone. And if you put it between the curb and the sidewalk, you're not going to have the root zone. you got your communication utilities. You've got your water lines and sewer lines and electrical. If it's underground, if it's not underground, it's above. If it's above, you can use a plant that's going to not grow. I think Georgia Power's recommendation is it needs to tour at less than 26 feet finding plants that would do that just the root zone space and it's almost like it's got to be a partnership between the landowner and municipality of how you're going to get that tree back it's sizing that plant to a particular prop which doesn't give you a quick easy solution but on the other side of the street with no power line you can you could do it over there 
And I mean, that's something that's a problem everywhere. And we need trees. Oh, it's huge advantage in trees, huge. We need trees. People's health, mental health, environmental benefits, the pollinator benefits, there's stormwater runoff. There are so many advantages, and we really need to start valuing, valuing them more. I know because it hurts when that developer just completely clears the land. I hurt with you. When the developments were large lots and we could keep the trees, but now if they're building so dense, if it's a significant tree, if you don't give it the room for the root systems Mm -hmm. to grow, you're going to lose it anyway. It's going to go in five years. So if you could come back with trees that are keys on management, it's like I've seen a lot of trees that have been put in and were never managed. You know, as that tree matures, the trucks start hitting them or they're in people's face on the sidewalk. There's really got to be a management program talking about street trees more than anything even in your backyard trees they need some attention yeah it's a living thing so it's, it's got to have attention <laughs> trees are so important we need to keep planting them yeah in the right spot look up before you plant good idea that would be the biggest advantage because the best day to plant a tree was yesterday think about the trees we enjoy today real large mature trees they're three generation trees so somebody had to plant that tree three generations back for us to enjoy today right so we got to be planting them for the people to enjoy not in our life in our children or grandchildren's lifetime it's a multiple generation plant well like you said for the wildlife too the birds and pollinators yeah i didn't realize how important the oak trees were to the pollinators in these interviews with people that do native plants and they were talking about how important they were to the pollinators just the oak trees themselves and there's so much going on in there that we don't ever realize being on the ground but you get up in that tree and there's just so much diversity going on with insects and Mm -hmm. mammals and all kind of things. It's a whole world up there that we are not privy to, except in the treehouse. That's right. (laughs) You're right up there with them then. (laughs) Suzanne Hudson, thank you for sharing your design vision in episode 14, Designing Garden Rooms on the Garden Question podcast. You are wonderful. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.